Luke 16, 19 to 31. We're all there? Alright, let's look. Verse 19. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was like a poor man named Lazarus, covered in sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came in with his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in the water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this way. But Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner mad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed, in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able, and none may cross from there to us. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to them, He said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. It's just the word of God. Thanks, Daniel. Um, as Daniel shared, we're starting a new series today. Um, and if you were here at the start of this year, I said that what I want us to be as a church, one of our focuses is that we want to make it a year of walking with God. But I want us to walk with God this year. And I spent a few weeks uh, explaining you know, why that matters. Um, but we've got some kind of practical things that are coming up down the track. But before we get there, I want to spend the next five weeks talking about um, truths that we should live by. But these are core, uh, foundational truths that kind of put the fire under our feet to make us you know, want to live for God, to help us understand the importance of why it matters that we are actually you know, walking with God and living for Him. But see, these are five weeks. These are five foundational truths. These are five truths to live by. And these five truths, if we can really sit under them and let them... Um, drop deeply into our hearts, they will change everything about us. That's what I believe about these five truths. And especially this week, if we would sit under this and let it fall in our hearts, it will change the way we look at life, the way that we look at our time, the way that we look at our relationships, the way that we set priorities in our lives. Right? These truths are truly very, very important. And today I want to talk about a truth that is difficult. I think this is the most difficult and confronting truth that we find in the Bible. Uh, it's uncomfortable. Right? It's the doctrine of hell. Right? The fact that hell is real. 
Now, when we look around this world, I think non-believers talk about hell much more than Christians actually do. Right? The word hell comes out quite frequently in the mouths of some of the people we know. It's like something goes wrong and they go, oh, hell. Or someone does something wrong to them and they say, you go to hell. And even when we look at uh, TV shows and movies, there's a lot of you know, portrayal of hell, right? quite lightly, sometimes humorously. And yet in the church, the topic of hell is often um, ignored. Uh, we avoid it. We don't tend to talk much about it. As I reflected on my own time in ministry and the sermons I've preached, I've talked a lot about heaven, but not so much about the opposite of it, which is hell. And that makes sense because heaven is, you know, we like to hear it. It's positive. Uh, we, it, it's easy. We, we love to um, speak about it and hear about it, but hell, well, that's a heavy topic. And I think that's why we avoid it, right? Because Christians, we understand that hell is a very heavy topic. Right? Hell is a, it, it's a difficult and uncomfortable thing for us to talk about. And I think we avoid it. Uh, we ignore it. Uh, we beat around the bush. But at the end of the day, that's really not helpful. Uh, it's not loving for us to not talk about where many people may end up. It may surprise you that out of everybody in the Bible, it was Jesus that spoke the most about hell. Now, Jesus is loving and is kind. Jesus welcomed all kinds of people, didn't he? Right? Didn't Jesus come to serve us? Those things are all true, and yet Jesus, out of all people, spoke most about hell. And I'm sure there were many reasons for it, but I think first, it was because it mattered to people who did not believe in him. And for the people who had not yet put their faith in him, that was where they were going. And so Jesus did not refrain from making it clear, unless you put your faith in me, this is where you're going to end up. And so I'm warning you, this is what hell is like. But not only was it important for non-believers to hear about hell, it was important for believers. Because as we hear about hell, it stops us from being complacent. And it reminds us that this is where so many people around us that we know and love are heading toward. Right? And it changes the way we think, the way that we place our priorities, and the way that we live. And so today we're going to sit under this very difficult, and I'm sure for some of us uncomfortable, and maybe for some of us offensive topic, this topic of hell. And as we do that, we're going to go to what Jesus said, one example of it here in Luke chapter 16. And so if you've got a Bible, you can keep it open in Luke 16. It's what Daniel read. If you have a phone, you can keep it open on Luke 16. We're going to go through this parable on hell. Now, because it's a parable, not everything about hell is explained here. Um, often parables were told to make some kind of big, shocking truths or statements. Um, but a lot of the details aren't found in the parable. But we're going to point out three things that we find that Jesus says about hell. And the first shocking thing that we find about hell is that hell will catch many people by surprise. In this parable, there are two people. Uh, two people who are extreme opposites. The first person we find is in verse 19. He's a rich man. He's clothed in purple. Right? It's a color of royalty. He wears fine linen. Right? He's rich. And he feasts 
sumptuously every day. He lives like a very lavish, comfortable life. And from this parable, as you keep reading, we can conclude that this man was Jewish and most likely religious. Because he calls Abraham Father Abraham, and Abraham calls him child. And so there's that kind of Jewish relationship that existed there. And the second person is found in verse 20. is a man named Lazarus. We know he's a poor man. He's covered with sores, so possibly diseased. He's also likely paralyzed because verse 20 says that he was laid at the gate. He didn't go to the gate of um, the rich man. He was laid there, most likely, because he couldn't get there himself. And as he lies there, he's so hungry and destitute that he wishes he could eat the crumbs that would fall from the table of this rich man. And yet he gets none of that. And so we have two extreme people, one very rich, religious, and one very poor. And what we don't maybe see is that contextually, that rich Jewish man, in the eyes of society, would have been the man that everyone thought was close to God. Look how wealthy he is. Obviously, God's hand of blessing is upon him. And so when we die, most likely this guy is going to go to paradise. But this poor man will look at him. Obviously, God's hand of blessing is not on him. In fact, God has cursed him. That's why all these bad things happen to him. Right? That's how people would have thought. Not about you, but do you tend to think that way? When good things happen to people, right, they get a promotion, they, they have a wealthy lifestyle, we feel like God has blessed them. When bad things happen to us, we feel like God has cursed us. But that's how we tend to think, and that's how people would have thought as they looked at these two people. And yet, as quickly as we are introduced to their life, they die. In verse 22 and 23 we read, The poor man died, and he was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried, and in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. We're introduced to them, and then they die, straight away. It's like death comes immediately. It's a reminder, I think, to us that we feel like life is long, but life is short, and we will leave this earth sooner than we think. Right? We often worry about things, consumed by things of the here and now, but they'll be gone one day. And we'll look back on our lives, on the things that we worried about, and we'll realize they don't really matter. What matters is not what happens in this life. What matters is what happens in the life to come. And so these two people, they die. And what we find, what is shocking, is that there is a great reversal. Right? This poor man is lifted up by the angels to be next to Abraham. And the King James says he's by Abraham's bosom. Right? This image is that they're at like a banquet. And what they would do back then is they would lie down next to the table. And so as they lie down, his head will be right next to the chest of Abraham. That's like a place of honor. And so this rich man is not only in heaven, he's in the highest place of honor right next to Father Abraham, who's from the Old Testament. And this wealthy man, instead of going to heaven, he finds himself in hell. Again, this was shocking. Because everyone would have assumed the rich man was blessed by God. And the poor man was cursed by God. And yet where they end up is not where people would have thought. And so as Jesus tells his parable, he wants people to 
to be like, whoa, what's going on here? That's, a, that's shocking. That's not the way we thought it would happen. The point is that hell will catch some people by surprise. And some people will not end up where they thought they would. Don't simply assume that you are safe because you are here at church. Don't assume that you are safe from going to hell because you are successful. Because you are wealthy. And you feel like, well, God must love me because I'm getting these promotions. God's hands of blessing must be upon me. Don't assume that you are safe because you're religious, because your parents go to church or your grandparents go to church, you're a fifth generation Christian. Don't assume on those things. Don't assume you're safe because you serve in church, because you're a good person, because you've invited people here. Don't assume. When we die and we stand before God in judgment, the scary truth is that many people will be surprised by what God will say to them. Don't assume. Another really scary passage that Jesus tells us in Matthew 7, maybe the most frightening passage of all. In that, um, in that passage, this is what Jesus says in Matthew 7. He says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Right? That's the person who will enter heaven. Verse 22, On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. The scariest word in this section is the word many. On that day, many will come to Jesus and say, Lord, Lord, look at what we did. Look at how I served. Look at the mighty works I've done. And Jesus will say, I don't even know you. It's not about you know, what we accomplish in this life that will get us access to heaven. In John chapter 6, Jesus says, this is the work of God. This is what God wants you to do. This is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. That you believe in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You believe in Jesus as the only one who can rescue you from your sin. You believe in Jesus as the one who will give you access into heaven. Believe. That's the work. But many relying on other things, like their success and their wealth and their contribution to church or the way that they've served, will say, Jesus, look at what I've done, and many will be rejected. This simple truth should cause every single one of us to reflect on our own lives. Look deep in our hearts and ask whether we've really put our faith in Jesus as Lord and Savior. Hell is real and it's horrible and it will catch many by surprise. I don't know if you've ever left the house and you've thought, did I leave the gas on? Did I lock the door? But I'm a forgetful person, I tend to do that. There's um, a time, I'm not proud of it, I went to high school and I left my bag at home. And I'm one of those guys. And so whenever I leave, I'm often like, did I, did I leave the gas on, did I leave, close the door? Sometimes I think, oh, don't worry about it, I'm just gonna go. I'm sure it'll be okay. What's the chances that I didn't lock the door? What's the chances that I left the gas on? Very small, right? But then I think to myself, but the cost of being wrong is far too high. And so I go just to make sure. 
the cost of being wrong on your own salvation is far too high for us to treat this lightly. You may have grown up in church. Stop. Check your heart. Reflect. And make sure you are saved. Make sure you have put your faith in Jesus alone. That you've surrendered your sin. That you've turned to him in faith. And you've decided to follow after him. This matters for us if you are a Christian here today. Of course, it matters for those of us that we know. How many people around the world live without the knowledge that there is salvation by grace alone through faith? Who will be caught by surprise when they come to Judgment Day, when they die, or when Jesus returns, and they will say, but I was a good person. Isn't that enough? God, I'm better than the person that I've seen on the news. I'm in the top 50% of morally righteous people. Isn't that how you set the standard? Look at all that I've accomplished. Look at my religious attendance. Look how much I've offered to that temple. How much I've prayed to that statue. So many people will be caught by surprise. And they will find that what has impressed other people will not necessarily impress God. How many people on Judgment Day will be caught by surprise because they thought that hell was not real? They were so sure that was made up and no one had gone to them to correct them. No one had told them that they were on a one-way ticket to hell. The first frightening thing that we find is that hell will catch many people by surprise even though the Bible talks about it even though Jesus spoke the most about it out of anybody in the Bible even though most of us already know about it that's the first thing hell will catch many people by surprise the second shocking thing and very difficult thing is that hell is horrible Jesus says in verse 23 to 25 and again this is a parable not everything is like true in every detail. And yet, even as Jesus tells this parable, hell sounds horrible. He says in verse 23, And in Hades, being in torment, right, the rich man lifted up his eyes and he saw Abraham far off and Lazarus was at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue. For I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that in you in your lifetime received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. Hell here is described as a place of torment. Twice the man is described as being in anguish. He says himself, I am in anguish. Hell is horrible. It's a place of pain and regret and remorse. It's not just not as good as heaven. It is the opposite of heaven. It's, it's the opposite of good. It's a place nobody wants to be. It's a place none of us would wish anybody else would be. A place of ceaseless anguish. 
The rich man, he begs Abraham to send Lazarus for a little bit of relief, just a, a drop of water from his finger, which parallels again how the poor, the, the poor man wanted the crumbs that would drop from the table. Now it's reversed. The rich man just wants a drop of water, but even that he does not get in hell. There is no relief from our anguish in hell. Jesus says elsewhere in Matthew 13 that hell is a fiery furnace. It's a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. Right? So horrible and horrific is hell that there is weeping and people gnashing their teeth in regret and despair and pain. In Matthew 25, Jesus says, Then he, the Son of Man, will say to those on the left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Here, Jesus says that hell is eternal. It's an eternal fire. It's an eternal punishment. Now, there are some people who would argue that hell is not eternal and that it will cease at a certain point. Uh, that people will suffer for a little bit and then they will, they will disappear or they will, they will be no more. Right? And this is called annihilationism. But here in this passage, Jesus says, just as eternal life in heaven is it's eternal life, he uses that same word, to say that it will be eternal punishment in hell. Hell is horrible, right? A place of torment and anguish with no relief that will last forever. If we sat under that reality for a little bit, I think it'd be hard for us to really comprehend. It'd be difficult for us to to stay in that thought. I think this is one of the reasons why we don't want to think about it. It's so horrific to think that people are in hell and going to hell and will endure something like this. It is very difficult to swallow. And yet we must face it front on because we believe in hell and we believe people are going there. Francis Chan, he said, I would love to erase hell from the pages of Scripture. John MacArthur, he says, Lest there be any confusion, I don't like the thought of hell either. These are people who believe in hell. And yet if they had a choice, they would get rid of it. I'm saying the, the longer I am a Christian, the harder I feel it is for me to embrace the idea of hell. It is really difficult. And yet, each of those people and myself, we believe it because we find it in God's Word. We don't get to determine what is true. We don't get to determine what's a just punishment for sin. Only the perfect holy God who made the world gets to determine what punishment is going to look like. He gets to determine what is true and what is fair. And as people who believe in God's word, who submit to the scripture, we need to accept not just the good things like heaven and salvation, we must accept all the things that may be difficult for us to accept, like the doctrine 
of hell. One of the reasons hell seems so appalling to us and we think that's not fair is because we see life through sin-stained glasses. You know, everything we see is affected by the fact that we are sinners and we are in sin. And so when we think about sin, we're like, is it really that bad? Are they that bad? Is lying that bad? Is stealing that bad? We don't feel like it's bad because we are in it ourselves. But when we stand before God in judgment and we behold His perfect holiness and we see sin as it is, we will on that day, I believe, agree that God's judgment is just. Because then we will see clearly. Right? It's like a person who, um, who smells so bad, but they don't know it because they're in it. Right? Maybe their clothes didn't dry properly and it's got like a little bit of a smell. But everyone else around them knows. Right? They're in it that they can't know. They don't see it. But everyone else does. And that's like us when it comes to sin. You know, this rich man, he doesn't complain to... When he cries out to Abraham, he doesn't say, oh, I, I don't deserve to be here. He doesn't say, oh, I, I've been a good person. He doesn't refute the fact that he deserves to be there. What he asks is for relief. That's because he knows at that point that he deserves punishment. He sees the weight of his sin. He sees how wrongly he has lived life, how far away from God he's lived. And so all he asks is not to be taken away. He just asks for a little bit of relief. This is important for us to understand because we feel like it's not fair that God sends some people to hell. And we've just got the wrong perspective on that. It's not that God is not fair to send people to hell. The, the truth is that it's not fair that God would send some people to heaven. It's fair that everyone goes to hell. That's right and just. We're all sinners. We've all rebelled. We've all done wrong. We should all go to hell. What God has done in His grace is do what is not fair and send some to heaven. In the moment of judgment, some may be surprised that their destiny is hell, but no one will disagree. No one will say that is unjust. I believe everyone in hell will say, I deserve this. And everyone in heaven will say, I don't deserve this. Hell will catch many by surprise. It is horrible. And third, hell is final. Abraham says to the man, and beside all this between you and us is a great chasm. A great chasm has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able and none may cross from there to us. The word great chasm is a gulf. It's a vast distance of cosmic proportions. And Abraham, Abraham is saying, I know you want a drop of water, but Lazarus cannot go from here to you and you cannot go from there to us. When we die... Or when Jesus returns, the Bible says, like a thief in the night, 
And so we may die at any moment. We don't know when. We think we'll live for a while, but it, it may come at any moment. And Jesus may return himself at any moment. So whenever either of these two things happen, at that moment, it will be too late to change our minds. And whatever decision it is, it will be final. And where we will go will be final. When we stand before God, we can't say, just give me one more chance. God, I I understand now. Just let me rewind 10 seconds back. It will be too late because we have had a lifetime to repent and to put our faith in Jesus Christ. We have this moment right now to put our faith in Jesus Christ. And pushing it back and saying, I'll think about it next week, I'll think about it next month, I'll make my decision next year. Maybe you won't have the luxury for that. Some of us might think, God, you've placed humanity on a ship with a hole at the bottom, we're all sinking. How is this fair? But what we need to remember is that we did this. We punched the hole in the bottom of our boat. We sinned. We rebelled. We chose to turn our back on God. We chose to love other loves more than Him. We made a God out of money and career and success and relationships and fame. We chose our way instead of God's way. We went and we punched a hole in our ship and the consequences of our sins is hell. But what God has done is that he sent a lifeboat in the person of Jesus Christ. What God has done is he has made it as easy as possible for us in our sinking ship that we have made to be saved and rescued. How easy is it to be saved. God has done it all. God has sent his son in Jesus to live amongst us in this world, to be born as a child, to be perfect, to then die on a cross for our sins. He paid the price for our failures. He took the wrath and judgment of God. We just sang about it. He did it all so that all we need to do is believe. To put our faith in Jesus say, Jesus, I have sinned, I wronged God, take my sins away and he will take that punishment. We don't have to do anything. And so even though we might get angry at God and say, God, how can you send people to hell? The fact is God has made it so easy for us to be saved. To believe. None of us can stand before God and say, God, your way to heaven was way too hard for me. You ask too much of me. I had to give too much, pray too much, attend church too much. None of those things are demanded of us. Believe in Jesus is the work that God demands of us. He has sent us a lifeboat and access is free and available to all. So easy, isn't it? Not only has God made salvation easy for you and me, it is so easy for the people around us. We don't need to take them anywhere, buy them some elaborate machine that will cleanse their sins. 
We need to go and tell them about Jesus. Right? They may have opposition, have questions, they may reject it. But as far as you and I are concerned, our duty in this is not very high. It is not that God has failed the people around us. If people around us don't believe in Jesus and are going to hell, I'll say the chances are it's not that God has failed them, it's that we have failed them. We have failed them. When I think about the people in my life, I can't blame anyone else but me. I failed to pray more. I have failed to invite them to church. I have failed to be bold. I failed to love and serve. I failed to tell them about Jesus. I have failed to take this free message of salvation to them. Abraham, at the end of this parable, he says that this is what people need. They need God's truth. The rich man in verse 27, he begs Abraham, send Lazarus to my brothers. I've got five. Because if a person rises from the dead and goes to them, they'll believe in that. And Abraham tells them this. If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. He says, if they don't hear the scriptures, right? Back then it was the Old Testament, Moses and the prophets. If they would hear the word of God, a person rising from the dead is not going to convince them. They don't need a miracle. They don't need an experience. They don't need a supernatural. They need the word of God that tells them about heaven and hell and eternity and the one who rose from the dead. That is what they need. They need to hear that and heed that. And every single one of us here today have heard God's word. You've heard of the truth of the doctrine of hell. You've heard of how to be saved. You have enough. And you don't need anything else to be saved. You need to hear and respond. Hell is horrible, it is final. And it will catch many people by surprise. This is a very difficult truth. And yet it is worth us facing front on and sitting under. And again, I know it's overwhelming for some of us, maybe uncomfortable, maybe for some of us offensive. And yet it will do you no good by me avoiding this topic. The most loving thing for me to do is to warn you of what I believe is true. I don't know if you have heard of the documentary An Inconvenient Truth. It's a bit old now, I think it was 2006, Al Gore. Um, it's the documentary about global warming. I don't know how we have polluted the world and we're headed towards destruction. And I love the title of that documentary, An Inconvenient Truth. Because that's what it was. It was true but it was inconvenient. It was a truth that people may not want to hear. It was a truth that people may want to ignore. Because what it was saying was, you messed up. 
with our cars and the way that we've used our fossil fuels, and I'm not an expert on this, but we've messed up. And because we've messed up, we're headed towards destruction. And so if we want to change it, we need to make some drastic differences, right? It's a truth that was really uncomfortable to hear. It was a truth that said, well, if this is true, I can't just keep living life the way that I used to. I better change something. I better stop wasting stuff. I better limit myself. But I've got to do something. Something must change because this is true. Right? That's why it's an inconvenient truth. Uncomfortable. And something has to change. And yet, so necessary to tell. Because if it's true, everyone has to know. Hell is an inconvenient truth. It's a truth that some may not want to hear, some may want to ignore, because it means you've messed up. It means something has to change. It's inconvenient because it makes us feel uncomfortable. And if this is true, it means I can't live the life I've been living. Something's got to change because I'm headed toward destruction. And yet, even though it is so uncomfortable and inconvenient, it must be told because it is true. We must have these uncomfortable, difficult conversations. It is necessary. It is even loving to talk about it. Is it loving to not tell a person who we believe is headed toward destruction. It is not loving to hide that truth from them. Love will tell them, plead with them, in a wise way, not Bible bash, but in a wise way, try to make them understand. As I close, I've got three things I want to encourage us to do. I want us to reflect, to repent, and then respond. I want us to reflect on this truth. Again, I know it's uncomfortable. We want to ignore it. We don't want to think about it. Some of us, we have people in our lives that we know or that we have known that do not know Jesus. And I want this to be very uncomfortable on our hearts. It should be, but we should face this. You know, I realize as I reflected on this sermon, we talk a lot about heaven, but the doctrine of heaven can make Christians very complacent. Right, we talk about heaven and we're like, yeah, yeah, I'm going there. I'm going to go there one day and I'm just going to keep living life and enjoy everything I'm enjoying and one day I'll die and then it'll just be better. I feel like that's what heaven ends up doing for a lot of us. The doctrine of hell wakes us up, doesn't it? It jolts us out of complacency and it puts a sense of urgency in our lives. And we can't just live the way we've lived. Something must change in the way that I think, the way that I live, the way that I set my priorities, the way that I approach these people who don't know Jesus, the way that I spend my time. Right, it changes those things. The second thing, as we reflect, I want us to repent. For some of us, repent for the first time because you have never believed in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And I'm not trying to scare you into making a decision, but if the Bible is true, and I believe every word of Scripture is true, 
that unless you put your faith in Jesus, you are going to end up in a place that I don't wish you were to go. It does not please me to think that anyone here would go to hell. Make sure you are saved. And even for the Christian, make sure you are saved and repent and put your faith in Jesus as your Savior. For the believer, repent perhaps because you have not lived as if hell was real. You put it on the shelf, you've ignored it, you've turned a blind eye to it. I know for myself, as I sat on the truth of hell, it, like, I was so ashamed, so ashamed of how I've spent my life. I want us to reflect and to repent, and then third, I want us to respond. Every time human beings are confronted by an overwhelming truth, there's only two outcomes that come out of it. When we're hit by an overwhelming truth, we either act, it leads to action, or it leads to apathy. I think they're the only two outcomes that come out of it. You know, the first time you're sitting there watching TV and you see um, like a world vision spot or advertisement, I don't know what to call it, it shows you a picture of a child in a third world country who's dying out of starvation. The voice over tells you that this child does not have access to clean water. This many people die every day, every week, out of things that are avoidable, diseases that are curable. And the first time we hear that, it's an overwhelming truth, right? And we will do one of two things. We either act. We act and we give money or we pray or something. We act because that's the only way I can live with myself in the face of this overwhelming truth. Right? In the face of this overwhelming truth, the only way I can live with myself is that I've got to do something. So we do something. That's one outcome. Action. Or, instead of doing something, we do nothing. And when we go down that road, our hearts close off. It grows apathetic. Because the only way you can live with yourself now for doing nothing in the face of an overwhelming truth is that you stop caring. And you say, oh, you, somehow I think subconsciously as a self-defense mechanism, we just shut off to this. There are people dying around the world, we shut off to it. It becomes like this distant truth. And our hearts grow cold. And we just keep living on the way that we've lived with a cold heart. As we are confronted by hell, we will either act or we will grow apathetic. And I think, maybe for myself, I've grown apathetic. But as we sit on it, it's so important for us to now act. How does the doctrine of hell change how you pray? It should change everything about the way we pray, how we pray, what we pray about, how often we pray, Maybe even how long we pray, how desperately we pray. It changes how we think about our relationships and our friends, what we do with them, and was a good night just when we had fun. Is that really the best possible night and outcome you can have when you hang out with your friends? It puts a sense of urgency in us when we think about them. It gives us boldness. The doctrine of hell changes how you treat church. Because if hell is real, 
and people are going to hell, then what we do here matters more, doesn't it? What we do at church, a part of it is to see people come to saving faith. And so you'll begin, begin to see church and your contribution to it and your money and your service as being much more important because church is much more important because hell is much more important in your mind. I want you to act on these things. So ref reflect, repent, and respond. We're going to do that in five seconds. Um, but today, we're starting Sunday groups. And I know it's not like the best topic to talk about with a group of new people. Um, but I want us to do this. Even knowing that we are faith family, knowing that we are trying to figure out our faith together, I want us to just be honest about this. I want us to be honest about what you struggle with, what you find hard to believe, maybe what you disagree with. Right, so what do you struggle with? I want us to share about how you've been challenged. But if this is true, how does it challenge your life? I want you to share what, you've been, what you're going to pray for, who you're going to be praying for, or other people in your life that you should be praying for. I want us to share about these things right, for those of us who are going off in Sunday groups. But right now, I want us to reflect. And so let's close our eyes and let's pray. I want us to reflect, repent, and determine to respond in our lives. I want us to sit under this very difficult truth. The fact that there is an eternal condemnation for those who have not put their faith in Jesus Christ. I want us to wrestle with that. I don't know what you feel about it. No matter who we are, it's not an easy thing. I want you to reflect and as you reflect on it, I invite you to repent. And if you have never believed in Jesus, I invite you to do that today. Tomorrow is not guaranteed. And we don't run to God only out of fear. We run to God out of gratitude and love. Because though we've made a mess of our lives, He sent us a lifeboat in Jesus Christ. So repent and receive free salvation in Jesus. For the Christians, I invite us to repent as well, but repent also for our failure of taking hell seriously. And that we were determined to respond in some way in our lives today. Let's reflect, repent and respond. And why don't we cry out to God and really wrestle with this. Uh, let's pray.